Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Lori. We've always thought that the most compelling story strikes the perfect balance between an honest look at the mess of life and the humor that can be found in the mess. To be perfectly honest, we don't really know how to live life without both the humor and the authenticity. Our podcast might be a little bit of whiplash at times. We can spin from hard and deep to humor and laughing on a dime. The hard will be really hard and the truths we share are the ugliest of humanity. We don't intend to make it seem like it's all fine or to pretty up the pain, but we also know that the joy we found is all the more profound because of the pain. So we hope you can stick with us through the ugly because there will also be joy and hope and humor. Welcome to the ugly truth about the girl next door. Hi, welcome back to our podcast, The Ugly Truth About the Girl Next Door. I'm Kate. And I'm Lori. And we are back. Um, Today we want to go back and review kind of the concept of DARVO, which is a phenomenon that we did an episode about early on. Um, But given, you know, just current updates and current circumstances, we feel like it's um, appropriate to kind of go back and take a look at that. Um, Okay, so what does DARVO stand for? Okay, so DARVO is D, deny that the abuse ever happened, A, attack the victim, um, and then RVO is reverse the roles of victim and offender. Um, and we've talked about DARVO a lot. Yeah. And Oh, yeah. Mostly, be- so with DARVO wasn't even a thing that you knew anything about as you were living through a ton of DARVO in your life. Yeah. Not until the podcast. No, definitely. Um, I think it was actually from that Instagram fa- Instagram profile that we follow called The Second Wound that where I first kind of found this. Um, and it turns out that it's actually a really well-researched phenomenon that um, narcissists and abusers and people who are trying to cover uh, a truth like this often use. Um, so we've experienced a lot of DARVO mm-hmm. in the process of this. Oh, yeah. A lot. Including a lot recently. Yeah. And a lot from the churches uh, and Christian organizations. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So D. So right now, current updates, let's talk about how we're being darboed, right? So deny the abu- that the abuse ever happened. That's like the very first, like... This is where we start. Yeah. Right? So, so first, we just... Offenders just start off by saying... And, and their supporters start off by saying, well, it just didn't happen. Yeah. Didn't and if happen. that works, that's great. They right. don't have to go any further. Um, or they say that they, you know, if they're a supporter of the, of the perpetrator and they can't say that this didn't happen, they say, I didn't know. Right. right. I had no idea. Sure. No clue. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, that's, that's where we're, what we're watching right now. Next, they try to attack the victim. So what we're seeing right now is people attacking my character, people poking holes anywhere and everywhere, little tiny tidbits of information that they're pulling out and exploding, making it seem huge. Um, they're majoring on the minor, taking points and details that really don't matter in the grand scheme of things just to make it look like the whole of it is not credible because, you know, if they can zero again, someone actually said to me, they don't want to be focused on a pebble while a parade walks by, right? That could not be more accurate as to what is happening right now. Um, then the offenders or their supporters typically reverse the victim and offender. So right now what we're seeing is. Um, the church is so hurt or this organization is or this so hurt. family you've brought this thing up like the CCA incident yes, you this brought this thing family. up mm-hmm. yes um, this poor man right we see this we saw this with the Matt Ariza thing right mm-hmm. people were talking about how much it was going to impact his life and his career what about the victim right about what, what about this victim who now has to spend years probably in therapy dealing with this horrible abuse that happened to her 
But yeah, let's be concerned about his career and right. where you know where all of this is going to land him, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that's the reversing the victim and offender. So um, one of our more recent episodes was talking about Grace and the church cornerstone on Grand Island in New York. Um, we say that because now we have worldwide listeners. And so um, this church, Cornerstone Church, is you know kind of at the front of our thing right now that we're dealing with. Um, so they, just a high level for anyone who's maybe jumping into this right now. So Cornerstone Church is where much of my abuse occurred. Um, things happened behind the baptistry, um, within the church, with church people, okay? Um, that's been said, that's been talked about over and over again repeatedly, right. that a vast majority of the abuse that occurred during those early years for me happened at Cornerstone Church. Cornerstone Church, when the podcast came out, they came out of the gate strong. Their pastor, their current lead pastor, which, by the way, they've had eight in the last decade, but their current lead pastor, John Sherholtz, um, came out of the gate, said, we want to support you. Our, my elders, my board, we, they had no idea that this abuse was happening in the church. No idea. They're broken. So Cornerstone said, uh, you know. We're worried about who might be in our building who poses a risk to children. Yeah. Who's still attending? Who's in our building? Who's still volunteering with children? So. Um, at the time, um, we were very new at podcasting. (laughs) Like literally we were in the thick of dealing with the chapel. And so Cornerstone was not something that we had really even thought about addressing. John Sherholz contacts us and said, "I'm, I'm concerned about people in my building. At that time, we were not sharing names. The chapel also asked us for a list of names of who might still be in their building, which side note, um, we don't know all of the offenders in Western New York. So we don't know all the people attending all the churches. No. In Western New York. So like, again, we've said repeatedly, we're not the say all and the end all for people who are bad in the world. That's just not reality. So um, we were not giving names at the time, right? We had come out very strong, very clear and said that my parents, Ron and Wendy Cook, had sex trafficked me for my entire life, that there were multiple buyers, multiple traffickers involved. Um, and that is where were the point that which we were at. We were not at a point of naming buyers. Um, but they came to us and said, we're concerned about who might be in our building. So, Because as, we're all about safety. Yeah, we absolutely. Did our we best. started this whole thing right. because of safety, right? So Lori and I had a conversation. It was kind of like, hey, we want to help. So it was a conversation that I had with John, several conversations, some of them by email, about, okay, how can we do that in a way that is responsible when Kate... And I, we were not naming names, but of course we care about safety. So we had lots of conversations about how to do that. We had talked about buyers, but we were not sitting around and talking in great detail about all the people that had ever been. Because again, that's, uh, again, we just, yeah, that's just ridiculous. I mean, at this point, have we done that? Yes, um, to an extent, right? But Mm -hmm. I mean, when you talk about decades of trafficking, Go talk to any other trafficking survivor and ask them to detail for you all of the offenders that have ever been in their life. And that is a very long, very difficult process that takes years and years and years to unfold. So no, Kate and I had not been talking in great detail about all of the buyers. And so when John came to me, Kate and I had to have conversations about, okay, how do we walk through this in a way that doesn't require you, Kate, to go back through your memory banks and think about all the possible people who have ever been who might still be sitting in a pew at Cornerstone Church. Right. That was not reasonable. Now, that's not to say that there are not specific people who mm-hmm. I absolutely, I've said it 
many times, and I will continue to say it, I would never ever name somebody or put them on any kind of list as an offender if I did not have a concrete, credible disclosure memory about that person. It wasn't a guessing game. It wasn't anything like that. It just was Lori and I in her office and our processing of the trauma had not gotten to that specific point. We had gotten to the point of some of the offenders that may or may not still had sent Cornerstone. We had gotten to the point of clear memories, clear processing of trauma that happened in that building. Um, but yeah, was the entirety, the comprehensive list of offenders something that you and I had even talked about? No. Nope. Is it even to this day? Nope. No. So right. that's where it started. Continue. Absolutely. So then the conversation became how could we, again, the whole idea of, well, we don't know who's sitting in your pews. We don't know who's volunteering with children. Um, so the place that we ultimately got to is a combination of sharing who was volunteering with children and who Kate knew to be an abuser. However, the DARVO, right, remembering that the DARVO is the denying the abuse ever happened, what's being said now is that the the list of offenders was cleared and now the, as if Kate is adding people to the list. There was no list to begin with. What was cleared, quote, is Lori and John sitting down or over email or phone. I don't even know how you did that, but sitting down essentially Essentially, I say, because our words keep getting twisted and saying right. it was or wasn't something. But essentially what happened is John and Lori having a conversation in which John gave me um, an old what an old directory. Mm -hmm. Right. And had a list of names that were still volunteering with children. I never cleared the whole directory. Let's right. be very clear on that point. Never, ever have I cleared the entire directory. You didn't? Did you even? We glanced. We through glanced the left, through the it. Yes. Yeah. Um. So yeah. <sighs> no. Hard no on that one. So anybody right. that's circulating that that gossip or that rumor that I cleared a list, any list that even currently exists is not exhaustive. It's not a comprehensive list. Yeah. <sighs> Um, okay, so John took those things. There was a couple people who um, were on the list or on the, you know, uh, that in were the in concern, in the conversation that were of concern that still had access to children. One of those people was Cal Kern. John gave him a very detailed disclosure of, you know, what my memory was of what I remember about the abuse that occurred with Cal. Wasn't fuzzy, wasn't a dream, wasn't any kind of craziness like that, because we've also heard that. It was a very clear and accurate disclosure. Very detailed. Again, go back and listen to the episode, How I Know, to understand why Lori is so sure that it was such an accurate disclosure. Right. So... John to say, I'm going to confront Cal Kern. The church cannot be supporting someone who has allegations of child abuse against them. John has a conversation with Cal Kern, sits him down and says, I sat him down. I said, Cal, tell me what's going on. He believed it enough to take action towards removing his funding. And then Cal went home. And the next thing we know, his wife, Sherry, is on the phone with John Sherholtz. She's on the phone with Lori. She's saying, this cannot be. I don't believe this. My husband, blah, blah, blah. And, and going around town. Yep. Going around town. for his innocence. And threatens to sue the church because they were about to pull his funding. That is when the church decided to hire Grace. So the church would like to say that they hired Grace to help me. But we know that they actually hired Grace because they were about to get sued by the Kern family. Okay, so they hired Grace and, um, you know, 
they said that we have to do something. We ha- we don't want this in our church, and so therefore we're going to hire this third party to come in. We have talked about Grace, right? At length. Good, bad, ugly, all the things. Um, so Grace comes in. We gather tons of corroborating information. We gather all of the information that people have brought to us through the podcast, through Instagram, through Facebook, through our email, through our tip line. Um, we go and talk to each of those people and say, hey, would you be willing to testify to this? Hey, would you be willing to talk to these people? We gather witnesses. We gather all of the corroborating evidence, evidence that we are not going to share on a public platform. That would be ridiculous. And it would also, it would break the confidence and the trust of the people that have entrusted us with those disclosures and with that evidence. I wrote, I wrote credible detailed disclosures. Again, that is a time-consuming process and it is also an absolutely painstaking process to have to sit down and go through a list of 30 plus people that I can remember like specifically who paid for sex with me as a child and pictures and videos of that to have to sit down and 30 times over write a detailed disclosure just to prove that I'm not lying is an absolutely painstaking process. So guess what? It takes time. It takes time, right? So Grace comes in. We give them all of these things. We tell them about all the people they should talk to. We give them all the things that we have, all of the corroborating stuff. And so we move forward with them. Um, what does the word credible mean, Lori? <laughs> yeah, so credible, look it up. The Oxford Dictionary call, says credible is able to be believed convincing. Okay, so the people who were listening to all that Kate had to say and all of the corroborating information and all of the other people who had things to share said, we believe these things are very serious and something has to be done. Yep. So, so Grace, um, in hearing my disclosures... They don't typically do this, but they did this because of the gravity of the situation and because of the seriousness of the allegations that they believe to be true. Um, They made a recommendation for each disclosure that I was able to detail and give to them, and they would recommend to the church that that person be removed from the church. So people that you're sown on Grand Island hired, ones that you hired, to come in and do an investigation recommended to you to remove these people. Because they found the allegations to be believable. Right. So now it hits very close to home, right? I'm naming offenders. I'm giving disclosures to Grace about people who are very, very close to this church. People in leadership. People who are relatives of the elder board, right? We've said it a million times. Again, this is why we needed to have this agreement before Grace came in as to who was going to be able to see the details of this report, which we'll get to. Church shuts down all communication with us. We Grace, from now on, yeah. all communication goes through Grace. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So that was fine. We couldn't, he stonewalled us. We weren't able then to talk to the church or to have any kind of conversations with them. And so that's fine. We went through Grace. We gave the disclosures to Grace. Grace made the recommendation. We move forward. That was- So Grace then steps out and, um, right after naming someone from the Asbach family. So if you are a Grand Islander, you know this name. Um, The Asbachs, they founded Cornerstone, right? There was four families. They founded Cornerstone. Like, please don't get get hung up on the details of 
who founded what, when, right? I Two ASVACs were named, both to Grace with disclosures, credible evidence, and also to in public because, again, we were naming names. Threats were coming. We were naming names. We made that very clear, um, and that's the road that we took. So we did that. Um, as soon as that started happening and that name started being put out there, holy heck. Now all the backpedaling all starts. All the backpedaling, right? Um, and in, in the middle of all the backpedaling and all the things, Grace steps out. They say we're handing it to law enforcement because of the gravity of the situation. And they step out, kind of leaving us with... Now what? What? Now what are we supposed right. to do? So now is when the church, instead of saying, okay, well, Grace stepped out because law enforcement steps in, which is the exact thing that we had said to Grace that we were concerned about, now... The church is doing a DARVO. So, again, high level. The organization says these things are credible. They're so credible, in fact, that you need to remove X, Y, and Z people. We're not done with our investigation, but we're stopping. We're handing it to law enforcement. And now, all of a sudden, the church backpedals. It's confusing, right? We're hearing things from all the people, right? right. This person said that a lot, right? This mm -hmm. person, that person saying whatever. This person said that it was said from the pulpit. This person was sitting in church and couldn't believe that they were hearing it from the pulpit. This person whatever. had a personal conversation with yeah. someone who someone said saw an abuser sitting in church. I mean, it's like a telephone game, right? Which we all know how that goes. Um, so again, don't blame us if what we are sharing is what you think didn't happen. Um, we're just telling you what is being told to us. And by the way, we are filtering out a whole bunch of less credible information that comes to us. So what you're hearing is our best assessment of stuff that is considered to be valid. Right. So talk about the, the shareholds thing from the pulpit. Yeah, honestly, it's been very frustrating and disappointing, especially for me. I for me because I think I had more optimism from the start than you did. That doesn't sound like you. No, not at all optimistic. No, <laughs> never. No. Um, yeah. So we have just we have heard from people. We have stated that it has been said from the pulpit that don't believe everything that you hear on social media and that the allegations have been handled. Okay. So number one. People have come back and said, no, I sit there and I didn't hear it or their their sermons are recorded and I went back and listened and that he didn't say that. Okay, people, listen, there are multiple sermons. So maybe it was said in one sermon and one day and not the other sermon on that day. So you were at one or they recorded one and you only heard whatever. Um, by the way, also only the actual message is recorded. So any comments that are made before the actual message begins would not be part of a recorded thing. Okay. And there's a thing called editing. Right. And so if somebody said something that after the fact, they were like, probably shouldn't have said that they're going to edit it out. Okay. I'm curious. Can we all remember that the very beginning of the podcast was because Dave Drake from the chapel stood up on the platform and said how glad he was to be in fellowship with Kate's parents at the first sermon of the day. When he repeated that sermon at the second service, somebody must have got to him and said, wow, you can't say that. And he didn't say it the second time. So all those people who sat in the second service and didn't hear it could come back just like Cornerstone people are doing, could come back and say, I was there. That wasn't said. Mm -hmm. Again, attempting to discredit the reporter. Right. Mm. Which, again, when I made the reel about pastors saying these things from the pulpit, the reality is the pastors are saying these things. Whether or not they said it behind an actual pulpit or not is really, again, you're looking at a pebble while a parade passes, right? 
it is such a majoring on the minor that is it, it's mind bending. Like right. they're using the power of the pulpit. John Sherholtz is the current lead pastor at Cornerstone, and he is using that authority and power to text people, to email people, which hey, don't believe everything you hear. They're misrepresenting the church. Blah blah blah. Right. So whether or not it was said on stage, is that really the point? Nope. I heard that there's uh, children and relatives of these men and especially these board members, these this board of elders who are apparently now on the front lines fighting this battle against us. Let's be clear on that. Because we've named their family. Right. Because we've named their family. And my question to the church is how is it that these people who have nothing to do with this are now privy to any of the information, privy to what was or wasn't shared with any kind of list or children's ministry or conversation? How is it that people like the children of these men on the elder board specifically, how is it that they're privy to that information, right? Um, It speaks is the very reason why we needed an agreement in place prior to engaging with grace as to who was actually going to see the report to the where where that paranoia and that feeling of needing that protection came from you may wish to cut this but (laughs) i would like to say that if you are someone who attends this church um and you have to speak to someone about struggles that you're having or you're looking for advice i would a thousand percent recommend that you find someone to talk to outside of cornerstone church on grand island why came to us and said They're waiting for a professional to weigh in. They're waiting for someone with trained experience to weigh in before they can decide if the allegations are credible. Lori, have you been trained in this? (laughs) Things I'm not an expert in. My husband's a mechanical engineer. I would not even begin to think about. My eyes blur when I try to look at what he's looking at. However... I have 30 plus years of addressing trauma. Um, and yes, I am in fact trained. And I have been very clear about why I believe Kate's disclosures are credible. So I'm not sure what people are waiting for. Mm-hmm. What? Oh, I think it's that they're waiting for the investigator from mm-hmm. Grace who graduated from law school two years ago to weigh in. Who's a lawyer, not She's a She's probably more trained than you. Yeah. You can hear the heat in our voices today. It's really, it's coming from a place of... I'm flabbergasted. Yeah, of just really feeling this, like, I can't believe I'm watching. So in in talking to other victims who, you know, were hurt in similar ways, they have these same stories. They have these same, pe- these same people in their story, right? Um, I posted something the other day about narcissists having flying monkeys. It it's a That's a, obviously like a, a play on whatever, but it's true, right? Their supporters are almost equal or worse than the actual offenders themselves. The offenders don't really need to do anything because they have all of these supporters who do it all for them. Right. Um, and every survivor has these people in their story, right? I mean, a, a friend of mine is is a, a victim from the Circle C situation. And, you know, Wayne Aram's family did the exact same thing. Um, just really, really aggressively. I mean, he didn't have to do that much because his children and his supporters and his relatives were doing it for him, just tearing these victims to shreds. Um, so every victim has these people in their story. So it, it's not surprising because we know that Darvo exists, but it's incredibly um, because Cornerstone is someone who came out and said, we want to help. And we trusted them. And 
we probably shouldn't have, but we did. Well, it's also honestly heartbreaking for me because we do get messages like this is the one specifically that came this week from someone who is not a Christian who said, I'm confused. So is this really how Christians are supposed to be? Because this doesn't seem like a supposedly Christianity is about love and kindness, and this doesn't seem very loving or kind. Yeah, that is really unfortunate that people outside the church are looking in and saying, oh my gosh, what a mess. And by the way, in case anybody wants to say, yeah, that's why you shouldn't be doing a podcast. How about instead, yeah, that's why the church needs to get this right. Mm -hmm. Because I don't want to be doing this. This is not undermining the church. This is clearing out the debris. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. I mean, honestly, like we've said, you know, we, we have put my story out there by choice. So there's a certain level of inviting the comments, right? Inviting that criticism into it. Um, and to an extent, like we're, we handle that. That's fine. We yep. move through it. We do what we can. And at the end of the day, I know that my story is true. Lori knows my story is true. And the people that are around me that actually care about me and love me, they're the ones that, that, that matter. Right. So at the end of the day, it's whatever. Um, but again, because we're putting it out there publicly, there are victims who have yet to come forward, who are watching how this is unfolding. And I don't know if I'm a victim that has yet to disclose abuse and I'm listening to our podcast, I for sure as heck, I'm not going to disclose that in a church setting. Nope. I'm just not because of how the, and again, it's not because of us. It's not because we've been, you know, slamming the church. We're stating the facts. These are the facts of what has happened, of what has occurred and how it's been received. And there's a recent example, like the information that we shared in the reel about Christian central Academy. Um, it's the same thing. Um, to us because of the podcast is people are sharing information with us about other things that are going on. And we are doing the very best that we know how to do to be careful with that information, but also prioritize people's safety. Um, because ultimately, as we've said over and over, that's what we care about. Right. So let's talk about the CCA thing. Yeah. So I think it specifically grabbed our attention because of, you know, Lori had just done an episode with, um, Darren from the well, um, this was a, a member of that uh, community and also of that. No, and because of CCA has a history of mishandling abuse allegations, mine specifically. Um, and, so, and not like a little bit of mishandling. Yeah, like no. Ridiculously mishandling. Like yeah. no excuse mishandling. And honestly, since posting that video, the number of people that have come to us and shared again – just like everything else, their own abuse experience that they disclosed at Christian Central Academy at one point or another, and it was mishandled, right? So, yeah. It, and victim blamed. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Um, so it, it grabbed our attention specifically. Not that there's not a ton of abuse stories out there and people who shouldn't be in positions that they are in, um, but this one really grabbed our attention. This one also was – not even a little bit hearsay. It right. was an actual public. public. There was a news article written about it. There was um, prosecution that happened. Um, it was literally out for the world to view. So it wasn't us kind of digging up information. Yeah. Someone sent us the news article and it was like, oh. Background check showed the details. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but again, we, t you know, we put the information out there. But first we went to people who could have and should have handled it appropriately. Our first contact was with the principal of CCA mm -hmm. and reached out to the principal. He responded, yeah, let's talk. We take this very seriously. The next contact was from the man's wife. Yeah. And in spite of 
I think we sent two subsequent emails to the principal saying, hey, still waiting to find out if we're going to have that conversation, to which we received no response. Right. Let's just also talk about the fact that, again, man is married into a very powerful Christian family in Western New York, unfortunately. Um, so throw her clout, make us see her side of the story. Um, so he wasn't even going to talk to us anymore because he had kind of... Both thing just unfolded, of course, both... In, with people directly dealing with it who were actually involved in it, but also from some of the public coming back to say, like, why did you have to make this public? Why couldn't this have just been handled privately? We, tr we tried is the answer, right? Okay, but don't you believe in repentance and redemption? This was 20 plus years ago. Okay, again, what does that have to do with anything? It has I understand for Christians, repentance, redemption, all of that stuff is everything, which is what we were told. Yes, obviously. But the point is, if you have a known sexual offense, you are then for all of time not to volunteer or work with children. It is simply not worth the risk. You can be, a, you can be forgiven. You can be like, you can go get treatment. You can get like, figure it all out and you can have good relationships and people can love you and all the things, but that still doesn't mean you should be working with children. Yep. No, not putting our most vulnerable population at risk. No. We also heard, we want you to hear the rest of the story. The, what rest of the, the story? The rest of the story is, um, we then asked the wife if she would be willing to commit to never working with children again. No answer. Dead silence. Yeah. Okay. That was it. So can we talk about the timing? Yes. Yes, please. Talk yes. about the timing of the email. Okay. <laughs> so we also got pushback saying, why are you making this public when they removed the man? Right. Why are you even doing that? Um, and why are you making this public when they've already sent an email saying that they removed this man? Um, first off, we didn't know they had sent an email. We're not CCA parents. And number two, the email was sent after we posted the video. Mm -hmm. Someone sent it to us um, because they'd received it and they wanted to tell us, don't worry, you shouldn't have posted this. They sent an email. But if you look at the timestamp on the email, it actually came an hour and a half after we posted the video. So. Saying that they had removed the man the day before, but we'll let you think about what you think of that. Yeah, and again, we don't know, right? But that's not really the point. The point was they – and so some – again – I got to be honest with you. This situation has been, um, out of all of the things that we've shared, this one has elicited the most visceral response, which really blows my mind because it is really like, again, these Christian people, um, church Christian organization, and phew, the things that have been said in our DMs has been just this, I mean, visceral and really, really um, gut-wrenching. But someone said to me um, in our DMs, you know, boo-hoo, like, you're a victim who just wants attention and this principal didn't give you attention. <sighs> and it was like, oh, okay, you really definitely missed the point here. Um, <sighs> so, no, it wasn't about him not responding to us. We were probably going to be able to say, hey, here's a really good example of – we brought this to the attention of the school. That's literally what our email said to him. It like, is. hey, we're going to talk about this because, once again, we have an offender working with children who shouldn't be working with children in the first place. We got to be better with background checks. Everybody, 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 every organization needs to be better with how they're vetting people. Um, and offenders, like, why would you put yourself in that situation, right? But we mm -hmm. wanted to be able to say Christian Central Academy did it right. They – Removed the offender same day. The principal was very receptive, very responsive. And then that didn't happen. So 
we can't say that if it didn't happen. Right. <laughs> right. But we tried. Again, we tried. We tried. And right. by the way, why is the onus on us? Yeah. <laughs> the no. information comes to us. We do the best that we can to provide for as much safety as we can while being careful about how we do that. The rest of it is not our responsibility. Right. It's again, majoring on the minor, right? right? You're talking about the timing of an email with the principal when the, when the reality is there was a predator coaching a, a children's team at a Christian school. That should have never been the right. case in the first place. And so anything else that comes after that doesn't matter. Secondary. And yes. that, by the way, this is not vindictive. No. You may hear some emotion in our voice, which we're going to talk about that idea of like, why is that even something that people care about? But okay, this is not vindictive. This is simply learning from past experience. Yeah. Like we can't just sit down and be quiet because it doesn't just solve itself. Right. No, a thousand percent. Um, okay, so the episode that we recently published about Bible Presbyterian Church on Grand Island in New York, again, <laughs> an episode about, about this church. And again, we got some pushback on that, which, you know, some now, again, to address that, there are some people who came to us to point out some of the um, details, the details that were not quite, quite accurate in terms of year and timing of when things took place. Um some of those people had really good intentions of just like, hey, I just want to make you aware because I was they were there back then and I wasn't. I mean, I was I was but I was like a five year old traumatized yeah. child. So, yeah, um, you know, but so some of that was really just coming from a place of like, hey, I don't know if you're aware, right. um, but some of it wasn't. And so, um, you know, we did. We did this episode and we talked about how Bob Vandermay, there was a big split at Bible Presbyterian Church. Go back and listen to the episode. Um and people were saying, you know, the split didn't happen until the early 2000s because he had an affair with somebody and it wasn't until then. So we went back and did our homework, right? We went back through our notes and checked with people who actually were there at the time. Turns out that Bob Vandermeer did actually have two different situations where he was inappropriately, um, had inappropriate sexual contact with two different women, one in the 90s, one in the early 2000s. Unfortunately, it wasn't until the early 2000s-ish. Again, don't quote me on the date because I don't know. It's a pebble, folks. It's a pebble. Um, early 2000s that he was actually removed as pastor and Kevin Beckis took over. So there's the clarity on that. But the reality of the situation is Bob Vandermeer is still an offender, regardless of when he was removed from the church. Kevin Beckis, still an offender, regardless of when he took over the church. Um, many of these offenders grew up with each other and are all connected through this church. Bible Presbyterian is still using their power of the pulpit to discredit and hide the truth, telling people not to listen because the podcast is from the devil. So yeah, the podcast is sure. yeah, the podcast <laughs> okay. is right. Um, we've also since heard from several people, just like we heard from several people about allegations against Kevin Backus. We have also now heard from several people about inappropriate, very twisted sexual behavior um, of quite a few people from back in the day at this church, including my grandparents. Again, we talk about the generational sexual right. trauma, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay, deep okay. breath. Deep breath. <laughs> I mean, people need to understand, yeah. like, that's a good example of the amount of detail that we now have access to. Like, we not only have all had access to Kate's detail, but since the podcast, we also have access to a ton of other details that the general public is not going to have. No. So uh, people have to understand that 
you are going to, you will believe it or you will not believe it. Honestly, I can't understand how at this point you would not believe it. There's so much corroborating information, but okay. Enough of which we have put out there, Mm -hmm. but okay. Um, But you have to stop thinking that you're waiting for us to give you more details so that you can believe it. That's not reasonable. Right. That's not reasonable. (laughs) Why are people still standing on the idea that um, we're leaning toward not believing an abuse disclosure rather than believing the disclosure? The statistics are so clear. And why some people are still saying, I'll believe it when law enforcement says that it happened. Oh, my goodness. We have said it so many times. 90 to 98 percent of allegations are considered credible and only seven out of every thousand sexual assaults ever gets to the point of prosecution. That means what's okay? 993 Mm -hmm. are you don't math. You just agreed with me. I did just agree with you. I was like, yes, that sounds she so accurate. Right. <laughs> Do you know what the eye doctor today? She was trying to like, she's like, how many total fingers, oh, but on no. two hands? And I'm like, girl, I do not math. Like you can't be holding up three over here and one over here. And now I got to figure that out. <laughs> oh, okay. I know it's a sad state of affairs. Patrick does math homework with the kids. Good. Yes. Excellent. Ay, 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 ay. Okay. The, the way I think of it is if, if somebody stole my car and I tried to tell people about it, I'm not going to have to say, um, it happened at 2.02 PM and there are security cameras that got it on their, their footage. And I have five witnesses who also watched this and the car was blue. No, no, no. It was turquoise. I'm not like any other crime. People are not victims Witnesses are not raked through that level of specificity, but somehow rape is different. We have this twisted idea about it. It's ridiculous. This is also not a court of law, right? We're doing a podcast. You can choose to listen. You can choose not to listen. Um, We're really thankful for the listeners that we have, and we're really, really thankful for all the victims that have come forward and have said, like, thank you for – talking about this for giving a name to what I went through for showing me that it's okay to use my voice um that's really you know and safety right we're doing this because of safety and numbers and the fact that the more people that I mean if I disappeared off the earth right now like there are so many people that would be like whoa what's up right um so yeah I mean there's all of that but as an individual like choose to believe it don't believe it this isn't a court of law so you know right it, it is what it is. Right. And, you know, another pebble thing here, um, people sometimes get hung up on, like you said, about the fact that we laugh or if we sound angry or if we don't sound a certain kind of way, the amount of stress that that creates. So I've heard about that from victims for my whole career about how it feels like you got to figure out how to be exactly the right way in order to get anybody to listen to you. And now I'm living it alongside Kate because I'm in this with her. And it is ridiculously stressful to Mm -hmm. think about, okay, how do I manage all of my very real emotional responses to this so that I show enough emotion because otherwise it's robotic and not believable or, but not too much emotion because then I sound crazy. How do I manage all of that? And for me as a professional, People have this narrative that like I shouldn't have any emotional response or any any skin in the game here whatsoever, which is also ridiculous because first off, I am a human being. And frankly, I think if more people actually cared about the people around them, this kind of stuff would not be allowed to go on. We should have feelings about it. So yeah, how about 
we don't get hung up on exactly how a survivor is bringing information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, that also is super triggery for me because um, when people start to nitpick the tiny details that don't matter, like if it was said from the pulpit or if it was said in an email, um, it triggers, you know, the old attempts of trying to get out. It triggers, you know, um, Liberty kind of railroaded me in this way. And, it, you know, it was like, oh, it was 2.02 p.m., not, you know, 2.05 p.m. And by the way, Liberty um, didn't just railroad you that way. They oh, railroaded, yeah. you know, all of the, the women on the Title IX lawsuit right. against them. Yeah. Um, CCA, you know, did the same thing. They said once she, uh, you know, recanted her statement about her father, we didn't know what to do. Well, that's just not accurate, but that was what they stood on, right? That detail is what they stood on. Um, it also, it, it's that triggers that whole feeling of not being right or good enough to get help, which is what, you know, is what these people always said to me that they, and then because the church and church people got it wrong, it became true. Yeah, it was true. And that's honestly, I just said to Lori yesterday, you know, when the lies that they told me in my head sort of become true is actually when it's the most damaging. Mm-hmm. And um, that is holding true for this, right? I mean, my, the things that they said would be when they actually are is that's that's the second wound that we've talked about. And that is, um, is incredibly damaging um, to me. Um, it also elicits that church me feeling like I have to be, like you said, perfect. I have to sound a certain way. I have to, um, be able to again, hold it together, but also not too much. It's just, and again, with my specific abuse experience, um, that was also what was expected during the abuse. And so it just it triggers that feeling of like, I'm not doing it right. I'm going to be in trouble because I'm not doing it right. Um, so that's, that's, that's a lot. Um, also that the feeling of, you know, people can stop believing it at the drop of a hat, which again, mm-hmm. something that they told me that is actually happening. Um, I'll never be able to tell enough. I'll never be able to make enough of a difference. Um, Can we talk about the Matariza thing? Because I feel like that's something, again, outside of this experience. People believed enough about these allegations that they removed Matariza from their roster, Mm -hmm. okay? But then, then when the decision was made by law enforcement in California not to prosecute, not because it wasn't true, but because they did not have the burden of proof required to win a criminal proceeding. All of a sudden, there were tons of people coming out and saying, great, let's sign them back up mm-hmm. as, okay, all gone, just yeah. because law enforcement stepped back. Which we've talked about so, so many times. Um, the other thing for me with, again, understanding that we made this choice, we made a conscious choice, we make a conscious choice every time we record a podcast to put my story out there for the world at large to hear, right, for literally millions of people to hear, Um but it's still my life. It's still my trauma. So there's a certain level of accepting the the critique and the the criticism and the the trolls, right? The hello, we see you fake accounts that are being yeah. made. Oh um, you know, nice try. Um, so there's a certain level of that that we just accept because that's what comes with this, unfortunately. But for some of it, it's there's an entertainment value to it. There's it's like a political debate. Um, it's like like crime TV shows. Yeah, except that this is still actually my life and actually my trauma story and it's actually true and it actually did happen to me. So, um, it's a really, it's triggery, right? When this happens. Um, and then it also triggers 
the thought that authority always wins every time, um, whether that's pastors, police, schools. Um, I'm never going to I'm never going to be enough to uh, to break that. So whatever the authority is, if the lead pastor at Cornerstone Church says it's so or if the elder board at Cornerstone Church says it's so, then it must be so. Um, and that has been my experience right along, um, which is why these types of things were able to continue. So all of that being said, <laughs> um, we keep going. Uh, we do. And, and we're really hoping that people will think carefully about these things that, you know, in some ways, <laughs> we don't have a platform to speak with the leaders at Cornerstone. So we're hoping they will listen to this or people around them will listen and go to them and maybe tell them about themselves a little bit. Like, yeah, the truth of the matter is there is a huge power difference here. You know, the podcast, thankfully, thank you to all of you, has helped upend that power difference a little bit. Sure you has. finally have some I would power love, voice. I'd really love to know how many emails Grace got that night. <laughs> uh, that would be a very interesting right. question. Probably Ralph broke the internet. Like, probably a little <laughs> bit of that, maybe. Mm -hmm. Right. But there is still this huge power differential that um, we're really hoping that the people in leadership will be conscious of that anything that they say that is discrediting is a second wound. And yeah, and just think it through, right? Like if someone is saying things that are discrediting, think about what they're actually saying and what they're actually focused on. Are they focused on a pebble or are they seeing the parade that's walking by, right? Um, If you or someone you know is stuck in a trafficking situation and needs help, please reach out to the National Human Trafficking Hotline by calling 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP, H-E-L-P, to 233-733.